Hey everyone, it's your host of See Jurassic Right, Stephen Ray Morris here, just dropping in to say, I hope you've been enjoying all the new episodes in 2023 and 2024 so far. There are new interviews with filmmakers, musicians, scientists, the screenwriter of Land Before Time, audio essays about the rich history of the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World franchise, and all the news about the upcoming animated show Jurassic World Chaos Theory and the as-of-yet untitled Jurassic World sequel coming next summer. I really need your help supporting the show right now, and you can do that by leaving a tip and or giving a monthly follow on Patreon, patreon.com slash There are $1 and $5 tiers, but more is coming. Sharing the show, giving five-star reviews in Apple Podcasts, and liking and commenting on social, at Stephen Ray Morris on Instagram and Twitter, goes a long way to help boosting the show's visibility again online in this new era. I'm an independent podcaster and your support is so important and means the world to me in keeping this podcast running. Link to the Patreon is in the show notes. Hold on to your butts. Thank you. And now on to the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. One, two, three, four. Filled with odd fright. See Jurassic right. Bathed in ember light. See Jurassic right. See Jurassic right. Right, right. See Jurassic right. Right, right. See Jurassic right. Right, right. See Jurassic right. See Jurassic right. See Jurassic Park. It's such a beautifully succinct introduction. You composed the score for Camp Cretaceous. It's Leo Bierenberg. Yes. Thank you for joining me. me. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I guess maybe I should just start at the beginning, which is what was your first experience seeing Jurassic Park? Oh, man, I was a kid. I was so I was a kid who was like obsessed with dinosaurs, really like pre Jurassic Park when I was like three uh, I was born in like 88, so what, the first movie came out in 93, so when I was in uh, preschool, I was totally obsessed. I knew everything. I had this dinosaur encyclopedia that I can like recall exactly how it looks. It had kind of like a corally salmon like cover, it was paperback. I feel like most of the information in it is now outdated and wrong, <laughs> um, which, and, I, and I haven't really kept up my like dino nerd thing throughout the like I I wouldn't say I grew out of it but at some point I kind of stopped learning about dinosaurs so I you know I'm sure I was a little preschooler with tons of inaccurate info but (laughs) I was totally obsessed with dinosaurs had tons of dino toys I don't think my parents let me see it in theaters actually I'm positive they didn't but I think I saw it as soon as it came out on video actually and, and then I rewatched it like millions of times. Like one, of it, you know, it's just one of those movies when you're a kid, you know, many of them Spielberg or Spielberg related that okay. you just kind of watch all the time. And although one thing that I very specifically remember is they had like a making of Jurassic Park special. Yeah. I don't know if it was released direct to VHS or just like I recorded it at some point back when we did those things or it came with something but i watched that so many times you know all about kind of the animatronic uh technology and uh man i can like 
see the entire thing. You you seem to know exactly what I'm talking about. So enlighten me. <laughs> no, no, but it's funny. I used to sleep with a dinosaur encyclopedia under my pillow. We're about the I'm about a year older than you. So I think that was probably mm. the defining difference because I've talked to a lot of people on this podcast and anyone from our age, it was like a flip of the coin. Like you got lucky, like your parents let you or your parents didn't let you. And it almost didn't feel like any rhyme or reason because we're, you know, what's the difference between six and seven, you know? Right. Um, Honestly, I am like a bit of a, I, I was a, I was a very sensitive child. <laughs> <laughs> and I think if I had seen Jurassic Park in theaters, I would have been terrified, but because I didn't see it in theaters, I thought it was like the best thing ever. Well, yeah, that's a good point. Well, but I was going to say, because I truly, to me, James Earl Jones is making of, you know, making of Jurassic Park yes. where you learn all that stuff. Like just as iconic as the movie to me like that yes. i feel like that was like the first behind the scenes where people were like oh making movies is like truly exciting and you know watching um you know because i'm a you know sound person so it's like watching gary rydstrom play the raptor on the synthesizer which uh -huh. just like uh-huh stays up you know i think about that i dream about that raptor at night but jurassic park it, it's especially for people our age it just was like the perfect point to watch something like that but what was your what was your first experience seeing Jurassic World? Uh, I saw that one in theaters, actually. In, uh, I guess, uh, when did that come out? 2015? Wow. 2015. That movie is like a couple years old now. Yeah, I, it's, it's like, five years old, which is wild. I don't know how time flies. Um, I remember that pretty clearly, uh, actually. I uh, think I went to the Arclight in Culver City, that one. Oh, that's, so it was the new, so I saw it there as well, too, because I was like, yeah, I think at that I point. I think I saw it there. <laughs> Action-packed movie. It leads right into Camp Cretaceous. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think what what is was really cool about Jurassic World and what is also cool about Camp Cretaceous is kind of the um, realization of the like theme park vision that we've all kind of just been waiting since 1993 to know, like, oh man, what if they had just gotten it right? Yes, you know, oh not that they got it right in Jurassic World, but, uh, you know, they had a fully functional dinosaur theme park with like all the attractions. And with that comes like so much world building. And I think that is like why people got I mean, people are always going to be into dinosaurs. Like, obviously, Jurassic is just like a big IP that people are drawn to. But like that is because like. I think it was really exciting for everyone who made the movie and for the audiences to like see that fully realized theme park vision. I agree 100% because, and I think that's why Universal is so, they like to revisit that era a lot when the park oh, yeah. is open because it's just, yeah, truly, it's like when we were a kid, it's like, oh, if they could have just, if Nedry, that dang son of a gun, if he hadn't, we could have been all going to Jurassic Park, <laughs> you know, we're going to Jurassic World now, like, uh, it's like, no, yeah, if not, if, if it wasn't Nedry, it would have been something else. Yeah. I mean, and, and for me too, Camp Cretaceous, it's like, I never got to do the summer camp thing as a kid right. growing up. And so, you know, that also like adds a whole nother layer to it. Um, yeah. Or it's just like, not only are you going to go to Jurassic World, like the coolest place ever, but, uh, you know, I mean, again, I'm, I'm totally, I'm a Darius, you know, a hundred percent. Like, oh yeah. Not only, are you, not only are you going to get to go to Jurassic World, but you're going to get to spend the night there and like go on special things. Like I, I'll go to like zoo stuff and do, or I used to, I used to do a lot of like do behind the scenes things and stuff for my birthday. So, um, that was amazing. Camp Cretaceous was totally scratching all those, all those itches. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I would go to Camp Cretaceous in like a heartbeat yes. if, if it existed. Well, let's step back for a little bit. How did you become a composer? I mean, to me, that seems like the coolest job in the world. Oh, yeah. Uh, big, big question. I hope it's the coolest job in the world. When when you're in the thick of it, you, uh, I think you get really tunnel vision and you sometimes forget that it's really fun. Um, but it is really fun. I, uh, I was like a band geek growing up, played the saxophone, played the uh, clarinet, played the flute, did a lot of musical theater, did, did a lot of voice lessons and, and all that jazz. And, uh, at some point kind of late in high school, I just realized it like wasn't as fun to like practice and play <laughs> the music as much as it was to like 
write the music down and boss yeah. other people around into playing <laughs> it like the way you want it. And it, it really started out because like I I was like a jazz band kid and mm-hmm. I would get really into these like I, I went to this high school that public high school in uh, the suburbs of Chicago that had like a really intense music program. And, uh, we, you know, we had a big jazz program with like festivals and, and like all these bands oh, cool. and, 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 you know, we would play a lot of like custom arrangements and bring in guest artists. And it just kind of like got that curiosity going of like, how did these notes get on the page sort of thing? And so like, you know, one second I'm like, Oh, this is really cool. The next I'm like, Hey, let me dig up this piece from like the cupboard. And like, maybe we'll play it after, after band tomorrow, like me and oh, wow. me and my buddies like, and then, then it's like, Oh cool. Like this score is pretty cool. Like, Oh, what about that thing? I like heard on that record. Like, what if I just like, uh, transcribe that and then I'll bring it to like pet band and we'll like play it at the football game. Wow. And then like that. And then it'd be like, Oh, maybe I should like take that tune. I like, and like arrange it for the big band for the next concert. Like it, it kind of started like that. And it sort of coincided with my, my musical theater pursuits at the same time. Cause we did this, um, uh, my school had this like student written and, directed and produced musical every year and so like i you know i was the became the music director for that and like co-wrote a bunch of the songs and then like arranged a bunch of the songs you know but it it was very uh i had a lot i had all of these like musical uh facets that i was like studying but then like the composing thing was just kind of like i I pulled it all together and sort of just like made it up as i was going (laughs) along but um But, uh, at some point, you know, as I was like planning on colleges, I realized that that's actually totally what I wanted to study. And I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do with it, but I should just like, you know, do that and, and see what happens. So I went to NYU, studied, uh, music theory and composition. NYU has a great film school. Uh, like I said, I was the like five-year-old Spielberg nerd. When I was five years old, I wanted to direct movies. Um, my friends and I with like iMovie one and a digital camera used to make just like extravagant or I, you know, for that technology, uh, (laughs) you know, backyard movies, uh, most of which were like strange spoofs on, uh, X-Men and, uh, Indiana Jones. But, uh, (laughs) I think I got to college and, uh, one of my best friends and my roommate that I, you know, showed up to on first day, uh, was a film major. And I think I was just like, Oh, I can totally like put this, these like various passions for creating things like together into one job. Uh, let's see what that looks like. So, you know, started working with that roommate on his stuff freshman year, started working, uh, with other people I'd met in the, in the film program. And just kind of like, you know, when you study music, theory in college you learn like a lot of really wacky contemporary stuff and so like you gotta kind of figure out how you're gonna like what you're gonna do with all that knowledge you're accumulating that isn't necessarily applicable at first first glance but uh i decided you know as i was approaching graduation that i just needed to move to los angeles and like see see what would happen so i ended up applying to this grad program at usc that is like more specifically in film music i like to say it's kind of like a get a job program um heavy it's it's heavy on the like you're gonna meet a lot of people in the industry and like kind of figure out you know maybe maybe you can make a connection and like get get a job and through that through like a series of two connections from that program to an orchestrator who uh, i actually met in high school through all those jazz connections oh, who wow. I, I realized i had this usc connection with in common um to uh you know that introduced me to christoph beck um who's like an a-list film composer does everything and so like i started working for him one summer because like his longtime assistant was taking like a bit of a sabbatical to go get married and needed someone to fill in and then like you know <laughs> the way like it's like the ultimate uh, hollywood thing like once you show up and you start working like you never leave kind of thing so like my summer of like helping out turned into just like oh cool i'm gonna work for you for five years chris and it's gonna wow. be this like really important like mentorship for me yeah chris is the man he and i 
are super close still. But, uh, I, you know, I worked for him for like four years and then um, a couple friends of mine who I knew kind of through my NYU network were making a show for Comedy Central called Big Time in Hollywood, Florida, which <laughs> uh, is hysterical. This is totally un-Jurassic related, but I'm going to plug my canceled TV show from 2014 because no, no, if, if you have, you know, four hours, go binge this show. It's like extremely ahead of its time and it's kind of like cinematic absurdist comedy um you can see cuba gooding jr play like a coked out version of himself um it it is it is a very special tv show um so like that was kind of my first like real job like like where it was like music by leo um and uh you know finished that worked for chris a little longer and then um he decided he wanted to kind of take a little break and i because of that uh, Comedy Central job, ended up getting offered this um, this also canceled Fox TV show called Son of Zorn that is also high concept comedy uh, insanity. Uh, and so, like then, I was off on my own basically. And wow. Uh, wow. and and since then, it's just kind of been like one job to another, and they all interconnect, and it's just that like Hollywood thing. No, for sure. Well, I mean, it's I again. I was saying to you before I, I did this science series where I interviewed a bunch of scientists and. I mean, it's kind of similar in a way. And, you know, I, and I think there's definitely um, a lot of people who love, I think an extension of this podcast is people who love film music. And so I think that is going to be, I think seeing the kind of steps that you took and this almost like, it almost feels like if you have a creative passion, you're almost like an octopus where you're like, okay, which tentacle can I extend because I see things happening very much. Was it essentially that kind of thing? Like kind of hopping from one job to the next. And all of a sudden you saw like Jurassic animated series and you're like, okay, tentacle in that direction. Uh, yes. And yes. And no, the, uh, I I had two different tentacles that brought me to (laughs) doing camp Cretaceous. Uh, one of which was like more conventional and the other, which is like Hollywood serendipity is not the right term. It's just like my most Hollywood story that exists. Um, <laughs> and, and I feel like people who are uh, into Jurassic world and into film music will appreciate it. And uh, basically, so I camp Cretaceous is made by Netflix. It's a Netflix show. It's made by DreamWorks animation who is owned by universal who have you know the rights to the jurassic franchise and like co-made with amblin of course who mm-hmm. you know are in charge of it and uh i a few years ago did a different show for dreamworks Am- animation that was also kind of like a uh, high value ip kind of thing like kung fu panda being oh, yeah. the one um i did this show they made called kung fu panda and the paws of destiny which was is amazing uh it's on amazon i highly recommend checking it out to anybody it is it is a very it is a really slick like let's drop back in the world of kung fu panda and like these four panda kids discover this like chi that they have connected to these masters from thousands of years ago and like trains them and it all like it's it's great it's so good. Looks amazing. Uh, sounds amazing. Um, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, so that's kind of how I met everyone at DreamWorks in like a, in a working way. I knew kind of the team over there just as you kind of like, you know, it's a film music is like a pretty small community, which is going to go to my next point in a second. So like you kind of, you know, once you're in town for a little bit, you kind of like know a lot of people. And so like, I knew the folks at DreamWorks and there was an opportunity to demo for that show. I went nuts because I am really into like ethnomusicology and like the opportunity to, they wanted kind of this mashup of like a spaghetti Western and then like traditional Chinese instruments with like also the Kung Fu Panda, like big orchestra sheen on it. And like those types of like combination challenges are like really what makes me tick. Um, I think like a lot of different jobs I do involve kind of like insane mashups of some (laughs) kind or another. So like I, I got really into that and it was just like a really great working experience. So I, I knew I would like work with DreamWorks again because like I loved them and like, you know, I think they loved me back. Um, and I like everybody else, I think saw a headline at some point that like Camp Cretaceous had been announced, but like didn't really know what to make of it. You know, I didn't know how to get involved kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Luckily for me, 
ridiculously, luckily for me, uh, the the folks over at DreamWorks and Universal called up uh, maestro Michael Giacchino, who scored Jurassic World and Fallen mm-hmm. Kingdom and is going to do Dominion also. The and Michael and I are like friendly socially and, and were especially like right around the time that they called him. Uh, and he knew that I was like just kind of finishing up this Kung Fu Panda thing and was like really into it. He is also just kind of like a great mentor. Amazing to pick his brain about Hollywood and, and film music. And like, I mean, there's a guy who's who more than anyone else, uh, inherits like giant pieces of IP and like kind of has to reinvent them. So, um, especially because like so much of Hollywood is like that right now. And I feel like he, he was doing that in the 10 years prior to that being like the most important thing. I, I, I just, you know, find his ability to, to, bring something fresh to the table. Like, so amazing. And I, I just find him really interesting. And he, uh, you know, God bless him, uh, was like, well, wait, have you, have you thought about using Leo for this? Cause it's like kind of up his alley stylistically. And I know he just, uh, was finishing up that Kung Fu Panda thing for you guys. And they were like, Oh yeah, why we should ask Leo to do this. Uh, let's see if he's interested. And so like, I basically, I got the, like, you know, golden ticket to the chocolate factory recommendation. Um, so thank you, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And so then they called me up and they were like, so Leo, uh, we wanted to talk to you. Uh, we've got this show maybe you've heard of, uh, you know, it's called Jurassic park. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, stop. What? Like, are you pulling my leg? Did you pass like, out? <laughs> no, I, oh, barely. I, I barely made it through. Um, but uh, they were, they were basically just like, Hey, do you, do you want to come in for a meeting with the team? Um, you know, we, everyone loves your stuff. Like, uh, you know, do you want to come see some, some stuff and talk about it? And I, I think I scored kind of like, a, you know, a proof of concept type of thing. It wasn't really, I don't know. I hesitate to call it like an audition, yeah. uh, but they, they kind of had this like sequence that they had created that was actually like Darius um, running through uh, the jungle with some raptors chasing him. And they were just like, hey, you, you want to take this home and like see what you can do with it? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like I'll score the lighting test. Like sounds awesome. And it was so much fun. It's like a fun homework um, assignment. Yeah, you know? yeah, totally. So, I, you know, one thing led to another and like three months later, we were... Uh, sitting down watching the first episode, like spotting it. Um, so cool. So th- that is how that came to be. It was just, I think I'm just really lucky, you know, right place at the right time. I like to think if you just like work really hard and put a lot of positive energy out there, like <laughs> it eventually makes its way back to you. And I think in this instance, uh, I, I can just, uh, thank like the karma of the universe and also very specifically Michael G. Kino for, <laughs> for providing this opportunity to me. Ugh, that's so cool. I feel like again, along with, um, you know, the making of Jurassic park tape from back in the day, it's like seeing scoring sessions of like John Williams, you know? And, oh yeah. And, you know, or even like Howard Shore with Lord of the Rings, like, Oh yeah. You know, those, those, those editions. are some of the best special features ever. Yeah. So like, oh I mean, all of those Lord of the Rings, I'm a huge, huge, huge LOTR nut. Yeah, um, me too. and, uh, I mean those, they rewrote the game on special features with that. And the music ones are amazing. I mean, oh my gosh. Incredible. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so, it's funny, my friend Mia, who um, she's a television writer, she one time texted me like this is the this is kind of like where where I'm at, where she's like, I got to see something today that's going to make you so jealous. And I was like, <laughs> was it the scoring sessions for Jurassic World? And she was like, damn it. How did you know? And I was like, oh, I had my feelers out. I knew it was happening because she got because she used to work with um, JJ. And so she got oh, to amazing. attend those sessions, the amazing. Jurassic World sessions with Michael. Amazing. And I was just like, oh, like that. Like, I, I mean, uh, maybe jumping ahead a sec. But what was it? I mean, being in the room when you're like when you're when your stuff that you're writing is like trans, like hearing it with all the, with all the bells and whistles. I mean, what is that like? Oh, like at a live scoring session. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Uh, the, the musicians who, who do Hollywood scoring sessions, whether that happens in the big places to record are like LA and London and sometimes, uh, further into Europe, Vienna and, uh, 
Berlin and uh, Budapest, like, you know, there's, but, but LA and London are where like the vast majority of like really big movies that come out every year record one of the two of them. They are beyond world-class. I mean, like world, like they are the world-class of world-class and they can just make anything sound amazing. So they always make your music sound better than you like thought it was going to. Um, and, and it's just incredible because like that kind of, you know, when you're on set, there's a lot of different interlocking parts moving together in like synergy. And then I feel like that kind of stops or like starts and stops throughout the filmmaking process when you hit post. And there's not really another time where there's like, a hundred plus people all together, like working on the same thing, like until you get to the scoring session. And it's also like pretty much the last thing that happens before like the final mix of the movie. And then it's print mastered and it's over. So it's, it's always kind of like this big emotional moment for everyone involved in the film. Um, you know, the directors are Mm. always super into it and super overwhelmed emotionally by it because like you just have this like, incredible orchestra the best of the best like in there bringing breathing life into the music and it, it's pretty amazing anytime anytime i get to record is uh is very lucky yeah that's so cool but yeah like rolling back a little bit i mean because that's just now it's like record scratch how did we get here i mean i guess for me it's like the part that is almost still kind of mysterious as far as like composing goes is it is it so much just watching i don't know animatics reading scripts starting to watch the animation where you start to compose or do you do you know a certain amount of research and you know you you talked about you know mashing things up i mean it seems like michael giacchino is on the right thing of like you know anything post jurassic world is truly a mix of you know jurassic park and jurassic world so what was that kind of process of like diving into the yeah the it's always a little different for every project because you like pull your inspiration from different places. And, and most things are kind of in a different, uh, the composer can always might come on really early. They might come on really late. Um, this kind of show animated, it's on like a pretty organized schedule, which is great. Um, so we, the, the writing schedule is, uh, basically they have a locked animatic, um, that is totally, complete it has usually like 90 percent of the dialogue is final it seems oh wow with all the character voices the uh you know it's just not that i mean the the animation i'm sure to anyone listening who has seen the show which is probably pretty much everybody uh the animation's amazing the dinosaurs look incredible like the textures the lighting looks incredible so it's basically like if you take all of the things that look incredible out and just have like a 3d animation that's (laughs) what the animatic looks like um and it's it's funny because like there's a lot of kind of like weathery things or environmental things in the show like the bioluminescent cave for example where i really have no idea what it looks like when we are watching it it's just kind of like okay it looks like there's like a big orange blob on the ceiling and then i find out that it's like all this beautiful purple algae um (laughs) but uh i i so i we we do like spotting session where we will um, sit down and, and talk about the episode and just like beat by beat, go through and talk about anywhere there could be music and where there should be music and what the intent of the music should be. What should we be doing? And then I go back and I spend a couple weeks writing it. And then around the time I am revising it based on their notes, the final animation comes in. And then I sort of go back through it to make sure that I didn't like mess anything up that, that I think, you know, that regardless of like the feedback I'm getting to make sure that it like, I think everything hits in the same way yeah. and is all good. Um, and the funny thing about this animatic is the, um, the dinosaurs like don't really walk. They kind of just like glide across <laughs> the grass. And so like, if you see, especially like a herd of dinosaurs anywhere, they're just like kind of all skiing, um, <laughs> which is a really funny thing to watch. And then it's like mad, like amazing when, uh, when the final comes in, you're like, I put a lot of sleigh bells in this because they're yes, skiing exactly, and everything. Exactly. But now yeah, I have to take like them everyone, out. Looks like everyone's on a toboggan. So it, that's basically it. We kind of like, I, I'll work on one. And then kind of when most of the work on that one is done, we start the next one. And so there's, I'm kind of always working on like 
two or three at a time, but they're in kind of the beginning, middle and, and stage. And uh, we, we usually spot kind of like a few ahead. So I have the context of yeah. what's going to happen. And I actually think when we did, when we first started, I want to say we watched like the first two or three episodes together to just uh, in that first meeting to kind of figure out, you know, get the, <laughs> get the bearings of, of the story. Cause actually the first episode I wrote was the second episode. Oh, interesting. Even though I had watched the first episode, but I wrote the second one first just for, for production calendar reasons. Hmm. But uh, to answer that didn't really answer your question to answer uh, your question about kind of like oh, well, yeah, where, I mean, you, where I start creatively on any project. And, and I'll, I'll walk through kind of the, the beats I, I, kind of took on Jurassic World. If you're inheriting a giant piece of IP like this, uh, you have to figure out kind of like what makes the the sound tick and like what you can take from that and like then what you want to bring to the table. And so kind of the first thing I did was just like go back and watch all those movies and just think like, um, especially the first Jurassic Park and the first Jurassic world and just, um, and especially Jurassic world because so much in camp Cretaceous is like concurrent with it and just kind of be like, okay, what, what is the sound here? But not really just like the sound, but what is the like intent of the yeah. music? And I think, uh, when people talk about the John Williams score to Jurassic park, a lot of the, like pretty much what they think of first and foremost is like the adventure themes, the like, big glorious stuff journey to the island yeah the main theme so that is kind of like that one sound that is just part of the score um and it is kind of caught up in the i don't know philosophical examination of like humanity's role in in science and evolution like you know it's asking those big questions and also providing like the adrenaline excitement factor of like, Oh my God, we're seeing dinosaurs. <laughs> and uh, I, I think that the kind of like the application of that sound is what makes Jurassic park, like such a unique movie. And I think kind of like narrowing in on that was like what John Williams and Steven Spielberg like did. That was so brilliant, but that is far from the entire Jurassic park sound. Oh, totally. And what, a lot of people I think miss when you just kind of casually talk about Jurassic Park is it's really, there are, there are a lot of horror elements to it and it is very much a monster movie in a lot of ways. Jurassic Park, it's, uh, you know, it's got that monster element and, and John Williams is amazing at that music. Um, he, he writes like crazy 20th century dissonant stuff better than pretty much anybody, especially anyone who works in Hollywood. And I also think this is something that Michael just absolutely nailed in Jurassic world, which is kind of even more literally a monster movie. Like you've got a scientific hybrid creation gone amok. It's a monster. And, and I think Michael totally, I like got that, like Jurassic park has this like monster movie backbone and like, I'm going to lean into that. And, uh, and he did. And I think that is a lot of what makes that movie tick Yeah, Jurassic world being. So me coming at this, I'm like, okay, here I am. It takes place at the same time as Jurassic world. It has a lot of those kind of original, like innocent feelings of Jurassic park and the like wonder. And like, you know, when you actually, in a lot of ways, like animation really frees up, uh, the ability for like unbelievable visuals, things like yeah. that bioluminescent cave yeah. um, and the, and the parasaurolophuses and, and, and whatnot. So, you know, I wanted to hit those two bases, but I didn't necessarily want to just like reuse music um, or make it sound course, too much. Yeah. So it was kind of just like identifying those as my sort of philosophical bases and then mm-hmm. being like, cool. So if that is what like, I like, if this is what I have, you know, I haven't talked to John Williams about it, but you know, this is what I kind of think made him tick. And like, this is kind of what I think made Michael tick. And so like, let me take those two things and like myself will tick based on like my reaction to that and try to, to, to bring it all together and, and bring it home. And I, I'm, I'm pretty proud of the result. I, I think, uh, I think the score works really well on the show. And I, one thing I was really excited to see in kind of like fan reaction online was how many people 
talk about Camp Cretaceous as a whole and say like, it really feels like Jurassic Park, like the original movie, like it's like set in Jurassic world. So it's got that like slightly more contemporary edge to it. But like, you know, the whole show like feels like Jurassic Park. And I think it's because of those kinds of two philosophies that, you know, I think whether anyone else would articulate it the same as me, I think kind of everyone who's come at the show has like, has got that same approach to it. Oh, totally. I think you and Amy Doherty, who did the score for Battle at Big Rock, it's like, Uh you're both like given this like, okay, here's all this amazing stuff. Now go, go not only play with it, but also do things original for yourself and, you know, satisfy all these things. And I mean, it's, it seems like it's a lot, but I think both of you kind of are like working in the two eras of Jurassic that I think people are most interested in, you know, so Mm -hmm. it's like Battle at Big Rock is like, okay, that's the world of Jurassic when, you know, the dinosaurs are off the island and we're going to see how that shakes out, you know, when Dominion comes out, you know, now delayed a year. But it's exciting because we're going to get more Camp Cretaceous and more time to spend uh, while we wait for Dominion. We're going to get to spend time in the post, you know, when we're on the island world, which is so special to a lot of people. And oh, yeah. Well, I I wanted to ask something specific. How did the intro how did the intro come about? Because I was just like, you know, it, like you could see a world where it's like, welcome to Camp Cretaceous, like a, like oh, a yeah, you know, yeah. animated no, no, cartoon no, nobody, intro. No, everyone. I mean, look, the show is extremely geared towards all ages. Um, and I think the, the emphasis, I feel like when people frequently say like all ages, they mean like, oh, it's safe for kids. But actually, I think in in this type of show, what it means is like, oh, adults are going to love this. It's not yeah. just like an animated show. And so, you know, Camp Cretaceous really leans in, especially as the season goes on, like basically episode four to the end really leans into relentless, the relentless action, the monster movie vibes. And uh, that's the tone that um, that everyone wanted to set right out of the gate. The, the showrunner, Scott and Aaron, uh, you know, we discussed that intro. We wanted it to be not too busy but like you know hit that hit that tone and i really wanted to you know use that uh, the horn theme that the um to get us into it and then that choir chord and so i kind of that's actually one of the areas where i like really cracked open the john williams score and was like i want this chord to be literally that um because i just think it's important in setting up the um uh, I don't know the sound and like getting everyone into the headspace. The, uh, I, I should say like, I am, I am really stingy with the Jurassic themes because I don't like just playing fan service for the yeah, sake yeah. of fan service. So one of the kind of most like dear, uh, decisions that I like, it, it's just like a topic I take and I do not take lightly is like, when am I actually going to use you know, a John Williams theme, like the Jurassic Park theme, the piano theme, the the Journey to the Island theme. And uh, the intro was an obvious place to to nod to that horn call. There's only a, a couple of times in those uh, first eight episodes that I that I really use one of the themes. And I really thought about it. Well, um, it, it makes it more rewarding. And like, it must yes. be kind of nice in a way where it's like, you know, I can imagine I'm even Michael Giacchino did like Rogue One, for example, where it's almost like you have 90 minutes, you know, there's maybe some pressure to use some classic themes where it's like, well, I'm doing a TV show. And so, you know, you almost get space. You're not like nobody's nobody's pressuring you to be like, you got to you got to get the, you know, the the Jurassic World theme. Anytime we see something related to the, you know, to the main street or something like that, you know. Right. We, uh, you know, we kind of decided in the first episode, like, Let's, you know, they're going through the gate. Let's use Journey to the Island and uh, the, I, the the sort of zipline scene was just like a very, you know, where we were sitting and spotting. And I'm like, okay, guys, this is the spot to use the main theme. Like, this is it. It's going to work like gangbusters. It's going to be amazing. So, you know, we did that a little bit in the first episode. That main theme, you really almost never hear again. There's two spots that are very important, I think. The opening of episode four quotes it for a little bit when Darius, it's the flashback to Darius and his dad. Oh, yeah. And there's a there's a, a spot where I'm, I'm sort of playing my like Darius music that gets developed in in that first in the first episode when you, you kind of are getting a, 
a tour of his bedroom. And I sort of kind of pivot as he and his dad are talking about like going to Jurassic World into like a moderate tempo on piano. Um, and it, it just kind of like, it's, I don't know, it's just one of those things that like works. And it, I thought it was a very important connection to sort of bring like, you know, this is Darius and his dad, like the, the season ends up having so much character development for everybody, especially Darius with all the flashbacks to his dad. And uh, just this kind of moment of like what they, what makes them tick is just kind of important because it's, yeah. it's sort of like what makes the viewers tick also this like, idea of Jurassic world. And and so it just seemed like a really important spot to use it. And then we don't use that theme again until the monorail in episode seven. And that is a very different usage that I, (laughs) I really love is, um, it's kind of the aftermath of the conversation the kids are having where they kind of decide like, Oh, we actually might not all be friends. Like yeah. the minute we're off of this Island and they're like on the monorail and there's like this totally ridiculous, like narrator on the monorail, like making jokes, like Jurassic puns. Yeah. And, and I just kind of had a feeling that like a sort of, it's the same chords. I didn't reharmonize it or anything, but like it, it comes across a little melancholy playing the Jurassic theme there while they're like, kind of like think they're leaving the park and they're like on the monorail. And like, I don't know, it was just, it, it reminded me of the helicopter at the end of the movie. Yeah. And uh, so I used it there. The one theme that I'm really into using, which goes back to one one is actually the original John Williams Raptor theme. Oh yeah. Bah, 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 bah. yeah it's yeah, like yeah. this dissonant four note thing. And I just think it's kind of like a deep cut that people don't, your casual Jurassic park fan does not know that theme at all. And, uh, there's kind of a lot you can do with it. So that first episode where the kids end up in the Raptor pit, like I really use that theme there. And, uh, you know, they're sneaking up to it and you kind of like hear it in the creepy chords. And then you hear it on this like low bass flute as like Darius is sneaking down into there. And it it was just that, that is the type of thing that like makes me, I don't know, excited to like, like, like to me, that's not like fan service. That's like a, Oh, I'm going to like, for those of you who pick up on it, like you're going to like this. Yeah. Well, you're, Um, you're exploring it deeper. And, you know, again, it's that thing. I'm like, you know, I think, anybody who's you know when you're when you're thinking about you know the industry and stuff you're like you know just this Colin Trevorrow sit down and he's like passes you a piece of paper and he's like 25% Jurassic Park 25% Jurassic World and then you know 50% yours you know like no not at all it's pretty much like uh, honestly everyone really gives me kind of carte blanche to make those decisions and like you know I pitch them by the group and then generally we all kind of just are in agreement with where it where it works. I think as long as you're using it sparingly, it, uh, it just kind of works. Yeah. yeah. You, want, you want, you want to feel those moments. Yeah. Like you're like, yeah, if we, if we just used it everywhere, then those moments wouldn't be nearly as kind of exciting. Like I always, I don't know when I'm like watching the show, I'm always like, well, what do I want to hear? Like, you know, I love Jurassic moment, Park. Yeah. Like what is like, if I'm writing this for me, what do I want? And like, I, it's not to just hear, Th- those themes again and again it's to like really have the payoff be sweet when we do hear them yeah well i mean it's uh i think i i think when our friend dave connected us i think it was like the night camp cretaceous came out and i like texted yeah or i messaged you a picture of like my girlfriend and i like you know both of us are like with our bumpy and our raptors yep. like we're all like ready and it's like then episode four comes in and and you yeah, know you learn about Darius's background, and you're just like, uh, <laughs> like, and, and it's you know obviously sad because of you know I don't know why I'm avoiding spoilers. I'm sure everybody you know Darius's dad dies, and you know it's that it's like it's like you are tying like this sort of nostalgia of this thing that never was, that never will be, that from our child. It, like it's just like you mix it all in this cocktail of like this gut punch moment where it's like, "Oh yep. no, his dad's not going to Jurassic World." Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh no, it was I mean, truly, I mean, 
it was just very much like it's just it was just kind of funny because it's like we're up late you know because we watched we watched all we watched the whole thing we like finished it like oh yeah morning or whatever easiest binge ever i mean look they're like 22 minute episodes uh (laughs) there's eight of them that's less than three hours like it's just a movie yeah this is the first season i everyone i just encourage to just sit down and watch it like it's a movie because i think it plays best that way no no i mean i think it was like you're watching like episodes like kind of two through three and then for us like episode four obviously that moment you know is very you know just an emotional impact but i think even the moment when you uh like see the miss ronnie helicopter and and roxy's like oh zach and gray or you're like oh no and like for you like was there any as far as like because i feel like people have talked to the writers of the show and the producers and i talked to uh steve beeling who wrote the junior novelization of camp cretaceous like Mm-hmm. This moment, like musically, is there also logistics to think about as far as like the timeline of how it intersects oh, yeah. with Jurassic World? Yeah, well, the uh, I mean, Michael has this awesome uh, Indominus Rex theme. Oh, so good. That's kind of this like, and it's got like a couple different different kind of variations on it. And, and so like that's kind of the one thing I really borrowed from him that every time that we kind of intersect with the Indominus, you like hear, hear that in some capacity. And, uh, those, I, I didn't have to make a lot of the same kind of like logistical, like brilliant problem solving that, that the writers do. Uh, for me, it was kind of just like enjoying that and being like, Oh, check out this wrecked gyrosphere. Yeah. Here. Like, I think I saw that in Jurassic world and just kind of like, I just get to like score that as if it's, uh, you know, I try to stay with the kids pretty much. And like, uh, cause then you're staying with the viewer and, you know, getting the stakes of the immediate story. Well, yeah. Bridging that moment of like sadness and sort of like dread and mystery, but then sort of tying it into the, the way that it's like bumpy is revealed and you're like, Oh, yes. oh, oh yeah. Thank God. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh God. Bumpy is just the cutest. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Well, uh, I mean, this has been a blast. It's like, whoa, we've already been talking for an hour. This has been so much fun. Um, I just have a couple more questions. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Go for it. What to you was maybe like the most challenging or like most interesting or fun dinosaur to compose for, if that makes ooh. sense. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I've got like three favorite scenes, like big sequences, and all of them involve different dinosaurs. Oh, cool. So... Maybe I'll just uh, walk you through them. The uh, number one, and I'll go in order. Number one is the bioluminescent cave, the Parasaurolophuses. This was this was a really fun cue to write, and it's it's one of those spots where I was like, "Cool, I'm just gonna write, you know, my own thing here." But like, what do I think? Like the John Williams approach might have been. There is this cue from the original movie called My Friends, the Brachiosaurus, that is this like absolute tour de force of like impressionist Debussy-esque music. It's it's totally crazy and beautiful. And like I've always like loved how that kind of fits into the Jurassic World palette. And this just seems like this spot where it was like, great, I love impressionist music. Like I'm gonna 
write some some Debussy right now. And so like that, I just kind of wrote this. Uh, I, I think it's really pretty and colorful and, and like spooky, but beautiful thing for, uh, for, for that whole sequence when they like, from when those parasaurolophuses are revealed up to them kind of like going to the boat and starting to get aggressive. And, and that, and that was just really fun. The, the visuals in that episode are just like so beautiful. It, it's, it's really like fun. It, and the, the waterfall scene right before that yeah, is, yeah. is, was really fun too. Well, um, I mean, as a, as a parasaurolophus Stan and as somebody where it's like, they've been kind of the constant dinosaur in every Jurassic park movie, essentially. And well, yeah, or not essentially they are, I mean, right. I guess battle of big rock, they're not in battle of big rock, but well, no, they are. Cause they're in the end credits. Oh my God. Mm. You know, the new element of the bioluminescent thing was really cool, but like, you know, it was cool to see a scene really devoted. Like it was just like, they've been around the, you know, this whole time. Like they're always on the fringe. Yeah. Like yeah. let's, let's throw them in the spotlight and let's kind of appreciate them for, right. for how cool and interesting. And like, yeah, this kind of dynamic too. Like the scene isn't just, I mean, it, it, that scene is such a encapsulation of like the spirit of Jurassic Park where it's like nature. These are beautiful creatures, but also like respect them because they could, you know, mm-hmm. start to maybe try and flip. Exactly. Your <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I just think it's a really, really beautiful sequence. And and like you said, gets kind of at the, the, the nature of, of the beast literally and figuratively. <laughs> I love that. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the next, Next, one of my favorite dinosaurs to score is uh, what happens right after that. The kids end up in the Mosasaurus Lagoon. Uh, and this is just one of my favorite kind of like Jurassic-y monster movie uh, opportunities. I think I even like titled the it's like a freaking seven minute like epic chase sequence yeah. um and i think i even called it uh, creature from the jurassic lagoon yeah. and uh i just thought it was really fun and the mosasaurus animation is incredible the, the shots like the overhead shots of the kids in the kayak with it like circling are amazing when it leaps out of the water it's amazing like everything about it is super cool and i just think the sequence is really fun like it starts out as a bit of like a boat race and then like yaz splits off and kind of like comes up with his strategy to like distract it but then she's like stuck and she like has this heroic escape of her own and i just think the whole thing like really keeps your your adrenaline pumping and uh it, it was fun i i used some like kind of like spooky uh tuba at the beginning of that like i i love um writing for tuba in like a very like melodic lyrical way. It's a really beautiful instrument at that kind of thing. And, and, you know, too many people think of it as just kind of low bump, 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 but it's, it's really beautiful when you give it like something beautiful to play. And, uh, so I had some fun with the tuba and, uh, yeah, I, I just think that sequence is amazing. And then my third one is the, uh, Pteranodon attack on the monorail and the next, um, scene because this is just like I mean this is your like classic action movie set piece I mean this is this is basically just like a scene from a Jurassic World movie like it's so or like God even like a Marvel movie it's yeah, yeah. just so cinematic kids are on the train it's nighttime the train's lights are attracting the pteranodons they're like attacking and breaking the windows and like it's a it's a really cinematic sequence because there's a lot of plot stuff that happens at the same time in terms of especially Ben's character development. And so um, I had been setting up this like Ben and Bumpy theme kind of for the whole season. And like this is all the payoff for that. That's exciting. When Ben gets on on the roof of the, the train and like this is the, like the reason that stuff excites me is like that's really like film scoring is like you kind of set up all the rules of your score and you set up all your material for your score. And then like all the best stuff is when you like take your toys and you like play with them and transform them and like (laughs) use them in new ways. And so like, this was such a like cumulative and culminating spot thematically, plus it being just like this epic freaking sequence that, uh, yeah, it, it was so fun to write. I also like, I spent, when you are like a professional film composer, you learn to write music very quickly. 
um, it's, uh, you know, you got to just like wake up and turn on the faucet and (laughs) and write music. That's just kind of how it works. There's a schedule. But uh, it's funny when we were working on this episode, it was kind of right around the time that like covid just shut down everything i think it was like around episode six actually that it it like happened and so like i got so behind on episodes not behind like the the whole schedule was just kind of like didn't exist for like i want to say episode six and seven we were just kind of like making it up because everyone was like working remotely and like you know my assistant who like does all the file management and downloading video and whatnot is like working remotely and we're trying to figure out how to set that up and but i really took advantage of the situation when it came to this pteranodon sequence because i was like okay cool like no one's gonna mind if i just spend an extra entire week on this and like make sure it's awesome and so i kind of just like schedule be damned was like i'm just gonna score this you know give it give it a week's attention like a real movie climax (laughs) and um just go totally ham so um i'm really happy with how that turned out and like you know flying dinosaurs are awesome i just think they 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 bring out them at least they bring out the best in me (laughs) well i mean it was so cool of camp cretaceous to find ways to utilize dinosaurs from fallen kingdom that you know oh, yeah. were on the island at the same time as jurassic world but just weren't seen and then also utilize yep. dinosaurs that we you know and creatures we already know in in kind of different ways i mean you know it was it was we had the we had the mass panic scene with the pteranodons in jurassic world right. so it was kind of cool to see something kind of more intimate and almost kind of you know jurassic park 3 like in a little bit you know with all the, yep. the aviary stuff in that movie so this is just my own curiosity because it feels like when oh, you're yeah. composing, you're like, cool, I get to like, is it that thing where you're just like, I get to use every instrument that ever existed or like, is there if any, I want to, <laughs> is there any like weird instruments on the score that we might not know? Because the tuba thing, I was oh, just like, oh, now it's like when I, go, think, when, when I go rewatch, I'm like, OK, like. Am I going to pay attention to like a piccolo somewhere or like, <laughs> well, there are, I mean, there's a couple, like, it's another one of those kind of like, when I was kind of just like going back to the original movies and, and deconstructing the palette a little bit, uh, you know, there's some like jungly flutes and I, as a woodwind player, like I like to, I always like to write for like jungly flutes. So like there's some of those, but I wouldn't say they're like super prominent. There's a couple because I'm a woodwind player. I love writing for woodwinds, which kind of of every family of instrument have the, the broadest color palette. You got your flutes and your clarinets and your oboes and your bassoons, and they come in different shapes and sizes, all of them that you can just do a lot with those colors. So there, I like writing for bass flute a lot. I don't right? know There's what a that lot is. of low flute stuff. It's a, it's basically just a giant flute. that's <laughs> <laughs> very low and mellow and spooky. And I also really like writing for contrabass clarinet, which is like the lowest clarinet. One thing that I think is like very Jurassic-y that I, I like to write are the, what I call these like woodwind burbles, which is like, I use them everywhere, so it's hard to like point to like a specific spot. But uh, at the end of the second episode, when the drone is kind of uh, descending on the island and it's kind of spooky and we don't know what's going on, you'll hear a lot of this like, which it's too low for me to sing. Uh, and that is all kind of like really low bassoons and clarinets, bass clarinet and contrabass clarinet, just kind of like doing these quiet little burbles. And, uh, that is like, I don't know, to me, that's just a very like prehistoric sound. And so I like doing that. You know, with Jurassic, there isn't, unlike some of like Kung Fu Panda, for example, it's not as much of a mashup. Like the palette is basically the orchestra. And so then the question is, is like, how many really cool sounds can I make out of the orchestra? And so then it's like, oh, well, now I'm going to use the tuba in this like melodic way and it's going to be spooky. And then I'm going to burble over here with the woodwinds. And then it's like, <laughs> You know, I'm going to like do a write a brass chorale because like that's cool, too. Like the, the, you like find all these times to or these ways to like, you know, bring out the orchestra, like the different the different colors of the orchestra. Oh, I love that. Is this there any personal excitement towards season two finally coming out? Oh, yeah. I, and season two is uh, season two is awesome. I think people are going to like it a lot. <laughs> I'm like, the, uh, I'm just glad we're getting I mean, we're getting it so soon. I, I'm going to turn your question back on, on to you. What what? 
were you really into in the trailer for season two? Well, I think for me, I mean, getting to see again that continuing that line of showing what the sort of fallen kingdom dinosaurs were up to in Jurassic mm-hmm. World. Uh, so seeing the Baryonyx. Oh, yeah. And then I think for me and a lot of people are excited is the Ceratosaurus because that is a dinosaur that has pretty much only been represented in Jurassic Park 3. So to see this, you know, to, to, because I think Camp Cretaceous has elements from all the Jurassic movies. I mean, you see uh-huh. the Isla Sorna in the video game thing. Oh, yeah. You, you get it, re- it really does a great job of like tying all the world together and like finishing the world building in a lot of ways. Yeah. So the Ceratosaurus for me was just like, whoa, like, you know, like we're getting the like they're, they're sort of resurrecting. Yeah, that's a pretty cool sequence. Oh, I'm so excited. Or like I, the, the music, I, I, I'm, I'm remembering the clip that was in the trailer and uh, I was pretty into the music for that when I was doing it. Well, and just seeing... The, I mean, I'm into all the music. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. You know, you, you pick your favorites when you're just like, oh yeah, this is like, I'm loving this. <laughs> I'm going to message you when it finally comes out and then I'll be like, oh my God, like, because, you know, it just, or at least, you know, from the trailer, it's like, the kids are kind of like, looks like they're making a stand and then the Ceratosaurus bursts out mm-hmm. and it's just like, okay, mm-hmm. what's going on here? Like, yeah. Yeah. One thing that I, that I love about the show and, and I'm not spoiling anything about season two by saying that like this vibe continues, but like the stakes are very life and death the entire time. Yeah. You know, like it's not like the kids are making a stand and Oh, it's cool. It's just like a kid show. They've got plot armor. We're going to be fine. (laughs) How are they going to get out of this one? It's like, no, no, no. Like, it's very possible someone could get eaten at any second. Like, you just, like, it is, I I think the the show is legitimately tense. Yeah. And the the stakes are very high, and I love that. I think that is really what what it nails. You know, it's got the world-building aspect it nails. You know, it's really expanding the universe. I think the fans love that. And then it does so like with real stakes. And I think that's why everyone is, you know, really into it. I, I'm like overwhelmed at kind of how successful it's been. That's awesome. I don't think it's very awesome that like an animated show ends up as like the number two thing on Netflix. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that's yeah, that's no, it's people really. Yeah. Again, like I've been saying, it's like people have been waiting. And my, my last question just is more of a silly thing. You want to go to Jurassic Park, you want to go to Jurassic World, but you know, you want like summer camp has always been this sort of idealized thing to me. Did you have any, did you ever go to summer camp? Do you have any fun camp stories? I did go to summer camp. I went to Camp Mishawaka in uh, Grand Rapids, Minnesota, um, or right outside of Grand Rapids, Minnesota. It, uh, you know, I probably went there like five years, I want to say from when I was like 12 to 17. Awesome. Totally life-changing experience. I really like, not to sound like cliche, but you know, like molded me into the man I uh, (laughs) was. Uh, There's just something about one, being freaking isolated from like technology and whatnot. And, you know, granted when I was 12, we did not have the same onslaught of notifications uh, and email and, and, text messages that that we have now but even then like the the idea of just like going to a place where all you've got is snail mail and trees (laughs) is uh really healthy and um and and, you know i love like i'm into just like physical activity so you know playing sports and 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 archery and canoeing i'm i'm really into canoeing uh (laughs) i'm very good at canoeing uh that that kind of stuff is like love it a blast for me and um you, but but more importantly and i think uh camp cretaceous kind of nails this last bit is like you really make friends at summer camp no like yeah. you are uh the the personal relationships that you come out of those experiences with are so important and the kind of social skills of making forging them the same thing happens to the kids in the show I think it it really captures like what the human element of what like camp is all about. Leo, this has been so fantastic. It's been fo- uh, so, oh, so much fun geeking out with you. Thanks so much for having me. No, thank you so much. It's just, and, and as somebody who loves film music and, and well, music for film and television, it's, it's always cool to hear somebody walk you through the process. But uh, I was going to ask, where can people... Do you have any social media that people can follow you yeah. on or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, or- yeah, The uh, My handle is the same everywhere. It's uh, my name, at Leo Berenberg. 
I'm not great at Twitter, but I'm on Twitter and I will occasionally tweet and by all means tweet at me. I will respond. I'm pretty good at Instagram. And actually I, uh, I've, I've gotten into the habit lately of, of posting, uh, scenes from various things I work on, like with just the music, um, which is fun. I, oh, awesome. uh, I actually posted that, uh, Pteranodon attack sequence, like all seven minutes of it. Um, with music only. And uh, I've got a couple of them like ready to go. I'm just going to kind of bleed them out over the next couple weeks. Uh, so follow me on Instagram if you want to uh, check those out and uh, and to get into some uh, robust discussion. <laughs> awesome. That's so exciting. Yeah, I'll definitely link to that. And then, yeah, besides Camp Cretaceous, is there any other work that you're excited about that's coming out or, or again, anything oh, yeah. from the archives the, you want people uh, to check out? I had a bunch of, because of COVID, I pretty much everything I worked on for like an entire year all came out in the same like two weeks yeah, I was in, say, Pen 15 in and September Kai and everything. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah this it, dude's it, working it was, a lot. It was pretty nuts. But uh, those are the two I was going to mention. Uh, I do the show Pen 15 on Hulu, which is couldn't be more different <laughs> from Camp Cretaceous. Uh, it is this weird surrealist comedy about uh, adolescence that is magical. Um, and uh, I'm really proud of the whole show and especially the music in season two, like there are some really awesome um, kind of musical set pieces uh, that are really fun. And um, I, I just highly recommend anyone check that show out just because it is a great television show. And uh, also uh, I do the music along with my longtime friend, uh, Zach Robinson for Cobra Kai, which is now on Netflix and uh is apparently like the most popular thing on Netflix. Anyone who just likes TV should watch that show. It is so much fun. Um, and, you know, you can just burn through it. Uh, season three is coming out in uh, early January. So uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. It's super epic. Um, I have actually just spent a couple days this week getting the soundtrack. Oh, cool. All put together for season three. So I'm pretty excited about that. That's awesome. Well, sweet. Thank you again, Leo. This has been fantastic. No, thank you. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.